This year, one thing I've really been focusing on is my own personal nutrition, but I feel like it's hard to have balanced, nutritious meals when life can be so busy, especially with two kids under four years old. But that is why I'm so excited to tell you about Factor. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day so easy. So no matter what the day is throwing at me, I know that I have these pre-prepared, chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals that are delivered right to my door. Also, my husband lately has been working the afternoon and evening shift, and so he's been loving them too to bring to the hospital so that he doesn't have to order takeout and he knows that he can still kind of take care of his nutrition even in a pinch when he's working. And it's so easy to fuel up fast with Factors restaurant quality meals because they are ready to go in just two minutes. Plus, they have snacks, smoothies, and even more. So there's so many options for your entire day. So maybe you don't necessarily need dinners. That's where we need some help. Maybe you want help with breakfast or midday bites. You can find that with Factor. Plus, it's flexible for your schedule. You can get anywhere from 6 to 18 meals a week, depending on what you need. And not only does it save you time, it also saves time in that cleanup after you eat, which is a game changer. So head to factormeals.com slash inminutes50 and use code inminutes50 to get 50% off. That's code InMinutes50 at Factormeals.com slash InMinutes50 to get 50% off today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this freeform episode of the Mindful In Minutes podcast. So I'm Kelly, and today we are going to cover a topic that I get requests about a lot, Maybe it's because it's like two things that I've made like personality traits of mine, which is ADHD and meditation. Um, But I get asked a lot about these two things, meditation, ADHD, is it good for it? Um, You know, what type of meditation is best for it? What do the studies say? And so I thought, you know what, it's time. We're diving in. Let's look at ADHD and meditation. So here's kind of what I was thinking in terms of what we're going to explore today. So first, I thought I could share a little bit about what ADHD is, uh, my personal experience having it both as a child and an adult, um, ADHD in the brain, how meditation can help or what the studies say. Um, There's not a ton of studies, but we'll We'll talk about it when we get there. There's things that allude to how it could be beneficial in the studies, but not a ton of studies specifically on ADHD and meditation, which is interesting. And then I wanted to share some of my personal favorite practices for um, students or practitioners with ADHD. And yeah, kind of my tips and tricks for that. Sound good? Does that sound fun? I think it sounds kind of fun. (laughs) So let's dive in. Of course, you probably knew this was coming, but a little disclaimer, um, I am someone who has ADHD and I'm a meditation teacher, but I'm certainly not the end-all be-all when it comes to those things. I'm also not a medical professional, um, so please keep that in mind. Don't go to your doctor and say, oh, Kelly, on the Mindful Minutes podcast diagnosed me with ADHD. Um, No, I'm just a little scatterbrained neurodivergent meditation teacher. <laughs> that's it. That's 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 what I have to contribute here. So that's my disclaimer, guys. 
All right. What is ADHD? Also, something that I learned while I was doing research, I learned a couple of things while I was doing research for this episode and kind of collecting the information. When I was first diagnosed um, with ADHD, I was actually diagnosed with ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder, and they made this big deal of like, oh, well, it went undiagnosed because she doesn't have the H. She's not like hyperactive. And I was diagnosed in sixth grade. And I don't, I don't even remember how old are you guys in like, <laughs> how old are you in sixth grade? Um, it was definitely like in the late nineties and the early two thousands to like date myself. Um, and I don't know, they made this big deal about how I had ADD, not ADHD, but I've learned since then that ADD is like an old diagnosis. It's not used anymore. Um, there's ADHD. We'll talk about it. That is then there's like three different types. Um, so yeah. So if you hear me, use it interchangeably. I'm going to try my best just to use ADHD. Um, but for a while, because I personally was diagnosed with ADD, um, it kind of just, I don't know, gets stuck in your brain a little bit, but I learned that we, that that's not a diagnosis anymore. So ADHD just is an acronym for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, it is one of the most common mental disorders affecting children. Uh, we will mostly be talking about ADHD in adults, like young adults and older, as opposed to like children, children, just because most of the research that I've done into it is more around like adult ADHD. Also, something that I came across in my research is that um, you're much more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD like as a child, but as an adult, it's much harder to get a diagnosis. So I feel like there is a lot of support out there for children with ADHD, but not always necessarily um, for adults. But you can take all this information. I mean, the brain is the brain. You can take all this information if you have a kid with ADHD um, and you can apply it. But just know the lens that I'm mostly looking at this and the data that I'm pulling from is like adults with ADHD. So an estimated eight and a half percent of children and two and a half percent of adults have ADHD. And like I said, it's usually identified in school-aged children um, when it leads to like disruption in the classroom or like problems with schoolwork, but it's not always found in school or not everyone with ADHD. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily gonna like struggle in school. And so something that I found was kind of interesting is that, um, you know, a good amount of children are diagnosed with ADHD, but it tends to be underdiagnosed in adults because if we basically went through our whole, um, I guess, lives or our whole school-aged lives without being diagnosed, like if our symptoms are not kind of getting in the way of like our school performance, then usually we don't get diagnosed with it. And then when we're adults, we maybe are working different schedules or we are working you know, in different fields, like we're just, we have a different environment. And so depending on your environment um, and how your ADHD presents itself, then it might be a little bit different. So I just thought that was kind of uh, interesting. I think I definitely have seen like a shift in how my ADHD presents itself when I was like young and a child and in like a traditional school setting versus now as an adult, like doing the kind of work that I do now. And I think I started to see that shift 
like in college when my schedule started to change, um, I just started to notice that like some things were not as big of an issue. Some things became more of an issue, but I'll get to that. I'll share, I'll share my ADHD story with you guys. Another fact about ADHD is that boys are more likely to get diagnosed than girls. Um, it's not believed that that boys are more likely to have ADHD. Um, it just seems like they are more likely to be diagnosed with it than girls. So it potentially is being underdiagnosed in girls and women. This was my experience. But again, remember, this was like over 20 years ago and what people knew about ADHD then and its diagnosis, it's, you know, what helps all of that has totally changed over the last few decades. But um, I remember everyone being like really surprised when I was diagnosed with ADHD because everyone thought that like it was like busy, rambunctious boys that were like disruptive, like that who has ADHD and not like me who wasn't necessarily like loud or disruptive in any way. Um, so I can definitely see that because I experienced it for myself with everyone being like, but she's a girl. She can't have ADHD. Um, but I think we're just learning a lot more about it now. So my hope would be that um, that is changing. So the really broad definition of ADHD or like the symptoms or signs of ADHD include inattention, not being able to focus, hyperactivity, maybe excessive movement that's not fitting to the setting and impulsivity, um, hasty you know, acts or decisions, kind of just doing things without thought. That's like when you Google it, that's what you'll see for like the symptoms. But I want to really dive deeper into how ADHD can be that, but also isn't necessarily that. So there's three main types of ADHD. And this is what I was talking about like a few moments ago about how like when I was diagnosed, they called it ADD and they're like, oh, she doesn't have the H, she doesn't have hyperactivity. But the way that they do it now is that there's these three main types of ADHD, which is predominantly inattentive presentation, predominantly hyperactive or impulsive presentation, or combined presentation. So an overview of each, the first type, the inattentive type, this usually refers to someone where, you know, they have challenges like staying on task or focusing or organizing. So maybe it's like they kind of don't pay close attention to details or can make kind of these careless mistakes like at work or at school. Um, maybe they have a hard time focusing on tasks or activities like during lectures and things like that. Um, they seem to not listen when someone's speaking to them. They have a hard time following through on instructions or they don't like complete things. Um, they can have a problem organizing tasks for work, um, missing deadlines, things like that. Losing things a lot, forgetting to do things. Um, that's kind of the inattentive type. The hyperactive or impulsive type refers to someone that has like excessive movement such as fidgeting, excessive energy, not sitting still, being really talkative, <laughs> maybe setting someone up for a career in podcasting. I don't know. Um, the impulsivity to decisions, like, again, that's kind of like you just do something without thinking through the consequences. So this type, it can show up like really fidgety with, you know, your hands or your feet are like squirming, not being able to stay seated, having like these bursts of energy, you know, 
you're just kind of like always moving and on the go, but also talks too much, blurts out an answer before a question has been finished or interrupts someone, um, having difficulty waiting for their turn. Um, That's kind of the hyperactive one. And then there's the combined type where you have kind of a combination of the two. If I were self-diagnosing myself now in 2023 versus like 2001, um, I, I would say that I probably have like the combined type because I tend to not necessarily like have a hard time with organization. Although sometimes I wonder what I will say is some ways that my ADHD really presents itself and you can see this all the time or hear this all the time on my podcast is kind of having these like mental tangents or being like, oh, but then I'll say this or then wander after this or get an idea for this. Um, And kind of, you know, sometimes it's like, all right, you know, put the train back on the tracks. Also talking a lot, like I said, (laughs) served me well for podcasting. I do tend to be an interrupter when I'm getting really like excited about something, not intentionally. I've personally been working on it, Um, but it's like sometimes I finish people's sentences like if I'm, you know, really excited about something or having this like really fun conversation, I can kind of like do it. I can be impulsive sometimes. And for me, I think that served, I think it served me well to some degree because it's like when it comes to doing things like taking risks, whether it be like in business or saying yes to projects or things that are like kind of scary, but also I'll just be like, let's do it. I don't know. Let's, we may not necessarily have a plan for it, but why not? Um, I can do that too and kind of be just the right amount of reckless, like to take leaps at times. So I personally would self-diagnose myself with a combined type of ADHD, but those are the three categories again, inattentive, Um, hyperactive or impulsive, and then combined. So if you're looking specifically at like adults with ADHD, a lot of them aren't aware that they have it. And I feel like only recently in the last few years have I heard people talking about like adult ADHD or it's shown up in my work or um, I've heard about, you know, people my age talking about being diagnosed with ADHD. I feel like it's just newer and it's coming more to the forefront where we're looking at adults and how ADHD can look different and how it can impact people like in the workplace and in their personal lives. And we're kind of expanding our minds beyond just like kids in school with ADHD, which I think is really great because a blessing in my ADHD, I think, um, is kind of getting that early diagnosis when I was young because I felt like it opened up the door to, even if there were limited resources at the time, like it, it opened up the door to some resources at the time where I could kind of learn coping mechanisms, you know, I could learn how to navigate my ADHD. And I just feel like it helped me to start exploring that at a younger age. And it's allowed me to come up with coping mechanisms um, for now as an adult and as a, a working person. I don't know why that sounded so weird, a working person, but now that I'm like an adult who works and, you know, has to function in everyday life, um, definitely a lot of the things, you know, people ask, I get a lot of questions about like my spreadsheets and my lists, I think because I talk about them, like even when I'm planning out like podcast episodes and things like that, I have my little like color coded 
spreadsheets to help keep me like organized, that type of stuff. Those are things that I learned like when I was younger, not necessarily like color coded spreadsheets, but like different tactics like that of how to, you know, kind of keep yourself organized. Um, I learned those things and started cultivating those coping mechanisms at a younger age. And so it's made it a little bit easier to then implement like as an adult. So when looking at ADHD as an adult, it often can show up like, you know, having a hard time focusing or prioritizing or um, making different deadlines or forgetting meetings or social plans. Um, It sometimes can show up like as just kind of being a little bit like aloof or um, like scatterbrained in a way. And I think that that's really interesting because it's a little bit easier to kind of get away with that stuff as an adult to a degree if someone's just like, oh, that's so-and-so, like they're scatterbrained. But it may actually be like ADHD kind of showing up, or maybe they're just scatterbrained and a little bit aloof. We all know people like that too. Um, But it also can appear like an inability to control impulses and can range from impatience waiting in line or driving in traffic to like mood swings and outbursts of anger. And I think this was the piece that I was most surprised about when I was doing research for this episode was how a lot of emotional aspects can be tied to ADHD. I didn't even realize that. And so I guess I had a good time or an interesting time learning about that and educating myself on kind of like the connection between ADHD and emotions and how some people with ADHD, like they can have, you know, these outbursts of anger, they can have mood swings or kind of be like impulsive emotionally or have like a hot temper Um, or like a low frustration tolerance. When I read that phrase, I was like, wait, I think that's me. Uh, No, that's definitely me. And, and I also read about this thing. I'm still doing more research into it. Cause when I first looked into it, there's kind of like mixed information on it, but sometimes people with ADHD, um, can have like this thing called like morning rage. And I do (laughs) want to pause here for a second. And I don't want it to seem like I'm like, oh, I'm Kelly. I have a meditation podcast. Like, I like to meditate and create these guided meditations. And, like, behind the scenes, I'm, like, blasting around my house with, like, morning rage and a low frustration tolerance, like, super hot-headed, like, have this big temper. It's not like that. At least I don't I don't perceive it to be that way. I don't know. Maybe if you came into my house or, you know, asked my family about it, maybe they would feel differently. But When I think about, again, that phrase of like low frustration tolerance, I do find that, you know, often I just can have like things can get frustrating pretty easily. Now, and we haven't quite gotten there yet, but something that I do think is really special and helpful about meditation with ADHD is even if you are predisposed to have like to get frustrated easily, and I'm talking like I can get frustrated at like stuff. Definitely people, um, myself, you know, silly things, no matter what field you work in, you get like, you know, emails from people and you're like, oh, I'm pretty sure you could have just Googled that, you know, things like that where it's it's kind of easy to just get frustrated. But what I think is really beautiful about meditation and how it supports ADHD is that there is a lot of research on how meditation can kind of I always call it like softening the waves a little bit. So not having that full, like those huge like swings, like really, you know, hot, cold, up and down um, that I can kind of smooth things out a little bit. And I do think that's one way where my meditation has helped 
to um, support me as an adult with ADHD, like as I've been meditating um, consistently for the last, you know, years, years, the last years. Um, I have to say, you guys, <laughs> if you have ever heard about something called pregnancy brain, this is not a, <laughs> this is not a mindful in minutes topic for us to explore. Maybe over on Meditation Mama. Um, pregnancy brain is a real thing. And I am convinced that it's like, especially in this late, you know, where, you know, Poppy could be coming, I guess, like any day now. Um, it's like all of the blood is going to my uterus and not my brain. And it makes speaking really hard. So I apologize for like, not necessarily seeming like I'm on planet earth and for being so breathless. Cause like this lady in here is crushing the old diaphragm. But anyways, back on track. Adults with ADHD, sometimes symptoms can show up, again, like impulsiveness or being disorganized, um, problems prioritizing. Also, um, as we know, low frustration tolerance, which is one that resonated with me. And then sometimes this like paralysis in a way. So another symptom that resonated with me was basically how some adults with ADHD, I don't want to put, you know, say that anyone who does this, this means you have ADHD or just because you have it, you'll do this. But it's like you can kind of get paralyzed and overwhelmed and be like, oh my gosh, I have all this stuff to do. And then you wait until basically your deadline is coming up and then you just like hyper fixate or you go into this like get it done, like complete it cycle, like sort of, you know, just get it across the finish line at, at the final hour. That one really resonated with me too. Or sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much. It's kind of this like procrastination and then like, you know, complete like deep dive into work um, cycle. And I definitely have seen that in myself. It's something that I'm, you know, that I've been working on and trying to, you know, as I work on becoming more organized, that's another thing that I try to, you know, work ahead a little bit more, be a little bit more organized in terms of like actually completing things. Um, but people... Adults with ADHD, some of them do tend to work really well under pressure. They just will wait until there's a lot of pressure because there's a deadline and then boom, they'll bust something out. And I have always done that. Even like when I was younger, when I was in college, if there's a deadline, like I, I've never really missed a deadline. And, but that doesn't mean that I didn't, I, you know, didn't finish it five minutes before the deadline, but that was one that I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was like an ADHD thing, but like I do that. Um, poor time management skills, problems focusing on a task, um, struggling with multitasking. Although we know if you listen to this podcast, multitasking overall makes you less productive. So, you know, take it or leave it. Um, excessive activity or restlessness, poor planning, um, mood, frequent mood swings, problems following through and completing tasks, um, and trouble coping with stress. We'll talk a little bit about why that might be when we talk about like the brain in a moment. Um, but that was one too where I didn't realize that that necessarily could be an ADHD thing. Like my eyes are really opened as I was doing research to this as to the um, ties between ADHD and our emotions. 
When I think about a time where I had to trust my gut, I think the first thing that comes to mind is when I started leading retreats. And although everyone was like, what? You're just going to meet a bunch of strangers halfway across the world and do a retreat? I was like, yes, I am. And I followed my gut. And it is one of my favorite things that I do today. And I think there's a reason to trust your gut. And it's because your whole body's health starts there. And that is one of the reasons why I love Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic. It is a new standard in probiotics. Its non-fermenting formula is backed by clinical trials and scientific studies, which we love, and delivers more of what you need where you need it. And I personally have been loving Seed so much because I feel like by the end of the day, I don't have that kind of uncomfy, bloated feeling that I used to have. And I didn't realize this, but probiotics can actually help maintain a more youthful look. It can kind of smooth out the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. And I feel like I've been getting a lot of compliments on my skin lately, which is so cool. It's not just about how I'm feeling, but science is backing this up too, because Seed is a broad spectrum probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains for whole body benefits. So listen to your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash mind and use code 25mindful to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash mindful, code 25mindful. So my personal experience, although I've been like sprinkling it in here with ADHD, like honestly, I don't remember a ton about ADHD as a child. This like, as I was writing like a little outline <laughs> like this sounds like kind of sad um but the thing that I remember about having ADHD as a child honestly was just like how emotionally hard it was the process of getting the diagnosis so like I really struggled in school I can't remember like exactly I, I really struggled like to read at first um and I also have like dyslexia and um but I struggled to read like school was not my place, I just, I didn't thrive in like a traditional academic setting um, where I have a sibling who like just like really thrives in traditional academic um, settings. And so we had this like stark contrast. And again, this was like the late, you know, it's like the 90s, maybe early 2000s, like things were a little bit different. But the thing that I really remember is kind of like the emotional pain that I associate with this diagnosis. Like people were really mean and they're like, oh, well, she's just like, dumb and like isn't trying or um you know can't apply herself or like just won't excel basically saying that I was like dumb and lazy and that's why I wasn't doing well in school not that like maybe I just see things differently or like do things differently or my brain works differently and that's honestly the piece that I like remember the most and then when I got my diagnosis I tried to keep it a secret I was so ashamed of it and I tried to keep it a secret and I don't know, somehow, whatever, it was like middle school, somehow it got out because I'm pretty sure it was sixth grade when I was diagnosed with it. So by seventh grade, which like, aren't we all just formed by like our seventh grade, like trauma, we're all just like these little monsters being so mean to each other. But I remember like it got out that I've been diagnosed with ADHD and the kids were really mean about it and said mean things. And, and honestly, that was like, that's a piece that I really remember, which maybe that's something that I should kind of sit with or talk about in you know therapy but um was like why that was so emotionally like big and heavy 
for me and why like that's a piece that I really remember in terms of like having ADHD as a child. Um, but then as I got a little bit older, I went into I went to a high school that wasn't like necessarily as traditional, smaller class sizes, things like that. I felt like I finally got like some more support. And then by the time I went to college, I I noticed that it didn't impact me as much. I was on medication um, through my early years of college, but I stopped kind of medicating for ADHD in college because I felt like I didn't really need it because the schedule is just so different. Like I had classes like here and there and then different things like in between. Um, and so I wasn't like sitting in class like all day long and that just worked better for me. And so I found that, you know, some of my more traditional like schoolwork struggles with ADHD weren't as pertinent when I wasn't in like a traditional like school environment. And then when I was in college, I did definitely continue to take advantage of different resources and things that were available to me. And that's where I felt like I really started to learn some of these like organizational coping mechanisms, um, you know, how to kind of, I guess, function in like an everyday, in an everyday uh, life and environment. But truly the thing that like I remember is that like emotional pain, which when I wrote that down, I was like, oh, that's kind of sad. But again, you know, you guys may have just heard that, <laughs> that ad, but like therapy did really help like work through that. Maybe that's something I'll talk about this week was, is, uh, you know, is that. And so now as an adult, it's sometimes harder for me to pinpoint like exact symptoms. And I'm like, oh, I really struggle with this one and that one other than the ones that I've kind of like highlighted already, um, you know, having that low frustration tolerance. Sometimes, a lot of times, like for myself, like I'll get really frustrated, like with myself or like simple tasks. Um, I can be impulsive. Um, you know, sometimes that serves me well, like with being impulsive and kind of like being like, you know what, set fear off to the side, let's go for it. Um, I am, I, do, I am an interrupter. That's definitely one. I don't even mean to do it. It just kind of happens. I love to talk. I'm chatty. Obviously I have a podcast. Um, and also there are a couple of other things like in research for this episode that I, again, I didn't realize was an ADHD thing, like, um, you know, putting things off into the last minute and then diving deep and like completing this whole project and, you know, X amount of time and turning in right before the deadline. Also leaving glasses of water everywhere in the house. Like I absolutely do that. And that was one that kept coming up again and again. And I was like, oh, I just thought like, you know, I really prioritized hydrating, but it's like you go and you fill up a glass of water and then you set it down and you work and then you walk somewhere else. And then you're like, oh, I'm thirsty and get another one. They leave it somewhere else. I absolutely do that. Also, sometimes house tasks are hard for me to get done because especially like picking up, like I'll pick something up and then I'll bring it to the bedroom to put it away and then I'll see something in the bedroom and I'm like, oh, I need to do this. And then I kind of get distracted and like do that. I do find that this shows up more like less in my work life and my ADHD shows up more in kind of like my personal life. There's also a link between ADHD and low self-esteem, especially in women. And this is something that I have experienced in the past. Absolutely. You guys just heard me say that, like, I tried to hide my diagnosis. And, like, I felt so ashamed. And, like, I just felt like, you know, I listened to what people were saying where I just, like, wasn't trying hard enough. And I was, you know, dumb and all these things. Like, I have absolutely suffered from really, really low self-esteem. And it's something that I have worked on to improve and, you know, just kind of continually work on and maintenance to, like, improve. Um, but once I kind of learned some coping me mechanisms, especially for, like, organization and things like that, 
Um, I have found that for me, ADHD is kind of, I don't know, like I think it sounds kind of silly, but it's my superpower. But I do think that some of the things that make work or functioning a struggle are also some of the things that, um, you know, I, I, I guess I thrive with. Like, I feel like because I think a little bit differently or I see things a little bit differently, um, you know, I, I think it's one of the reasons I can come up with lots of different ideas, like for meditations or like I can be a little bit impulsive, which sometimes I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Like, even if I don't have a plan, like, let's go for it. And that can like pay off really well. Um, yeah, I just find that some of the things like now that I've shifted the way that I look at it, although it can make some things more challenging, I think it also like sometimes gives me a different perspective or allows me to do things like in a different way. Um, so I've really kind of embraced all that I joke like ADHD is a part of my like personality trait or part of my personality. I don't know. I really have learned to like coexist with it and to kind of love it. Um, but it was really interesting and eye-opening to dive deeper into this and how other people experience it. So then I recognize that like some things that I do, like they're not just like quirks that I have, but they're actually like ADHD symptoms, which was kind of honestly kind of fun to learn about. So shifting gears now to ADHD and the brain. So what I will say is first and foremost, we don't know exactly what causes ADHD. Um, that was very definitive as I looked into this. It's like no one has a real like this is what causes it. But we do know that there's a few key regions that play a role in ADHD um, in the brain. And that is the frontal cortex, which shouldn't surprise anyone who has listened to any of the meditation in the brain episodes. Um, we'll talk about that in a moment as to why we talk a lot about the frontal cortex, specifically the prefrontal cortex here, uh, the limbic system, which plays a key role in emotions and attention, and then also the basal ganglia. Um, so people with ADHD, though, I did, this was interesting to me, and I was telling my husband about this, and we like nerded out for a little bit. But people with ADHD typically have at least one defective gene. It's called the DRD gene, and that tends to make it difficult for neurons to respond to dopamine. So the neurotransmitter that is involved in feelings of like pleasure and regulation of attention, um, it kind of inhibits like that neurotransmitter. So people with ADHD, because of this, you know, defective gene or gene anomaly, um, they tend to be dopamine deficient. And dopamine is just like a it's a type of neurotransmitter. It's made in your brain. It's also, you know, it, it kind of acts as this like chemical messenger communicating messages between nerve cells in your brain and your brain and like the rest of your body. And dopamine also acts as a hormone. So dopamine, dopamine epinep epinephrine and norepinephrine, I'm telling you words are hard. <laughs> Um, these are all different hormones that are made by your adrenal gland and, um, dopamine is usually like kind of called that like feel good hormone. Um, so if you do not have enough dopamine in the body, um, it can cause different issues. Uh, dopamine, like as a neurotransmitter, it's involved with memory, behavior and cognition, attention, sleep, mood, learning, um, a handful of other things. And so if, you know, that neurotransmitter is inhibited in any way, we can then struggle with some of those different things, which doesn't a lot of that, like sleep, mood, learning, memory, movement, all that stuff, like 
goes hand to hand hand in hand with ADHD. Um, and then someone who has low dopamine, it can make things kind of tricky. So if you have low dopamine, you may feel like unmotivated, tired, unhappy, you might have like mood swings, sleep problems, concentration problems. Um, and people with ADHD are much more likely to be dopamine deficient because of this like gene. So I didn't know that. And my husband and I were like, oh my gosh, this, <laughs> we were talking over dinner. We're like this DRD gene anyways. Um, but I had no idea that there, that there was potentially a genetic component. Um, I did know that people that have ADHD typically have lower dopamine, um, but I didn't know that it was often a genetic thing or, you know, had to do with a gene. So on the flip side of that, so we know that there are these areas of the brain that we tend to see differences or ADHD kind of like impact these parts of the brain. On the flip side, what's kind of cool is that these are also similar key regions that meditation can have an impact on. So the prefrontal cortex, right? You've heard me talk about it again It's or before. It's the part of the brain that's like right behind your forehead. And it's re- it's responsible for a lot of like emotion regulation, memory, focus, concentration. Um, Sarah Lazar out of Boston, she has a really famous TED talk on this and like how meditation changes your brain. She talks a lot about the prefrontal cortex, which people with ADHD tend to um, have like either smaller prefrontal cortexes, less dense or like more scattered activity in this part of the brain where regular meditation tends to increase density and size and weight of this part of the brain, and it can um, make that kind of brain activity less scattered. And then when looking at the limbic system, which is a piece of the brain that um, we know is a little bit different in those with ADHD, for the majority of these parts of the brain, when I say they're a little bit different, I mean they may be potentially smaller or less dense or have more like scattered brain activity. So the limbic system, it's a system, it's a couple different parts of the brain, but specifically looking at the hippocampus, which is a part of the limbic system. This has a big piece in long-term memory, uh, memory retrieval, and this is something that is tends to be impacted in those with ADHD, but then on the flip side also can be strengthened and supported through regular um, meditation as well. And then we have the basal ganglia. So this is a part of the brain that has to do with different like movement, um, motor functions, things like that. For many people with ADHD, um, it's been shown that this is a place where we see a lot of kind of that damaged dopamine neurons in the basal ganglia. Again, not all, um, but it's something that seems to be pretty common in people with ADHD. But once again, on the flip side, when we look at how meditation impacts the basal ganglia, it appears that regular meditation can strengthen this part of the brain, which, you know, the theme here is basically the parts of the brain that tend to either be um, weaker or challenged or have differences in those that have ADHD also seem to be the same areas of the brain or many of the areas of the brain that tend to be strengthened through regular meditation. The last piece of this is going to be dopamine. So again, we, we talked about dopamine a little bit, um, where those that have ADHD tend to have less dopamine. Um, but we do know that people who meditate on a daily basis, they tend to have higher dopamine. 
Um, they also, regular meditation can increase uh, serotonin and GABA. These have to do with like kind of that feeling of happiness and like calmness with regular meditation. And just a little kind of, you know, reminder here that a lot of these studies have shown that 10 minutes of meditation every day is enough. And it usually takes about eight weeks or so for these types of changes to be picked up like on like a scan of your brain. Um, so just, I don't think I mentioned that a while back. So I want to mention it now. So let's get into these studies because here's where for me, it gets a little bit interesting. I thought there would be a lot of different studies on how meditation can support those with ADHD or how it impacts the brain. And honestly, I didn't find a whole lot. There are some out there and you you know that my like personal litmus test, I guess, as to whether or not a study gets included in something like this is that it has, you know, a good sample size. It's been peer reviewed. Like I like to look into like who funded the study, that type of stuff, um, because I don't want to really platform um, just any, you know, I could do a study right now and say I did a study of one person and I found that eating ice cream every night helps me to not feel so anxious or something. I don't know, right? I mean, you can make up a study about anything or create a study on anything. Um, so there weren't a lot that I felt like really had like substance to them. There was some conflicting data. And honestly, that really surprised me. What I did find, I found a couple. There was a study from 2018 that showed or suggested that even short meditations can improve attention in people, like increase their ability um, to focus and to um, pay attention. And then there's another one in 2019 that they looked at kind of that eight-week mark of short daily meditation, and they saw that, again, it had the ability to boost attention and memory. So a lot of the data around kind of meditation and the brain and ADHD, we have to kind of draw our own conclusions. There weren't a bunch of like direct studies. However, we do know there's a lot of information and data that suggests that meditation helps to improve one's ability to focus and concentrate and also kind of like be organized, increase dopamine. And then we have these studies looking at, you know, these crucial parts of the brain that we know tend to be impacted through ADHD, but then also studies tell us that those parts of the brain can then be strengthened through regular meditation. Now, can we say that then, yeah, absolutely, like meditation is going to like totally rewire your brain and you won't suffer from ADHD anymore? No, probably not. But I think that we can make some kind of strong, educated conclusions that because these same key regions kind of are at play with ADHD and meditation and also the things that we do know that meditation can do, like help improve focus, concentration, reduce impulsivity, um, help with emotion regulation. There's also been studies about meditation and like academic and work performance that it does seem to suggest that meditation kind of helps maybe support some of these areas where someone with ADHD may have a tougher time. That's my like personal conclusion, but I'm also not going to tell you that there's tons of studies out there that are just a slam dunk saying, hey, look at how meditation absolutely like can cure your ADHD. 
No, because it's not out there. And the stuff that is out there um, is, you know, fair. Fair at best. They're definitely not like slam dunks in terms of looking directly at meditation and ADHD. There are some, but not a ton. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of that, like what is ADHD, you know, how it can present itself, my experience with it, the brain, the research behind it. Um, and now let's talk about, in my personal opinion, as someone both with ADHD and a meditation teacher, some of the meditation practices that I personally have found for myself and for, um, students that also have ADHD, um, seem to work really well or be, I guess, a little bit easier to stick with. So the first thing is remembering that you can keep it simple and short. So eight to 10 minutes a day is enough. We do have data that tells us eight to 10 minutes a day daily meditation can give you the physical, mental, emotional benefits of meditation. And usually you'll start seeing some of these changes, especially on a neurological level around the eight week mark. So if you are someone who, you know, it's harder to stick with things in the long run, keep it simple, keep it short, a few minutes a day, that's enough. So that's like my first, you know, if you have ADHD and you're starting a meditation practice or you're working on a meditation practice, just meet yourself where you're at, start short and simple. You can stay there if you want, or over time, as you increase that ability to focus and concentrate, then you can, you know, increase, you can do more minutes if you want, but you don't have to. So I find that then short guided meditations can be really powerful, not only because, again, they're short, right? Like 12 minutes or less, it's usually pretty good. Um, but the thing about a guided meditation is that it is guided. So whoever is leading the meditation, whether you're listening to one of mine on Mindful Minutes or anywhere else, the guide is walking you through the practice And it just can help you stay on track sometimes. If you have a tendency to really kind of veer off and start at point A and then all of a sudden we're going to B, you know, C, F, H, Z, you know, bouncing all over the place. Having a guided meditation where someone's really walking you through it, like from beginning to end, can be really useful, especially for those that have ADHD in my experience, because it just, it walks you through the whole thing. Um, So short guided meditations can be really useful. Also simple breath practices. So that might be like a relaxation breath, like an inhale for four and exhale for seven, maybe just following your breath. Um, That can be really useful because it's not particularly complex. And when I say that, I don't want to say it's because people with ADHD can't handle complex things. They absolutely can. But when you're first starting out, or if you find it's hard to keep your attention on a you know single point of concentration, something like your breath just for a few minutes, like it's very simple, just you know inhale, exhale, maybe you're counting a little bit and you don't feel like you're necessarily like getting lost or getting distracted and then coming back and then you miss something. It's like you just kind of learn how to manage the distractions and you can always return to your breath for a few minutes. Um, a body scan and a walking meditation. So I have found that kind of doing or involving the body is a really great point of concentration for myself and also for my students that have ADHD. So we'll start with a body scan. You know, that's where you kind of can sit or lay. And again, you just 
scan through the different parts of your body. Maybe you start at your feet, you work your way up to the top of the head, or maybe you start at the top of the head, work your way down to the feet. Could be a guided body scan where you're checking in with different parts. Um, but I have found a body scan to be one, I think it's because, you know, you're you're moving to different parts. Like, although you're staying with your body, you're moving, you're like the toes, the top of the foot, the bottom of the foot, the heel, like you're kind of constantly moving mentally when you do a body scan. And so that one I have found can be um, pretty useful and pretty easy to stick with. It's also helping to quiet down the physical body. So if you are someone who has ADHD, maybe you fidget a lot, the body's really busy, sometimes kind of checking in with the body that way with a body scan can be a nice one. And then a walking meditation where you're going outside, taking slow. This part is hard. It's hard for everyone. I have found it's particularly hard for those with ADHD because a walking meditation, it's very slow. It's very intentional. But if you can get into the rhythm and you can move your body a little bit, you can really focus on like the feet or maybe the muscles of your body as you're walking. I have found this to be one that can be really useful and it can be a nice way to break up the day. So if you do find that you have a harder time focusing on things, you need to take more breaks, maybe taking a break to get up and do a short walking meditation, that can be really useful too. Um, So yeah, so those are kind of what I have found just dabbling with myself and students for probably the last five-ish years, five, six years. They tend to be really useful and can be powerful and sometimes a great starting point or a different point of concentration for all of my other friends out there. Um, my last piece of advice is if you are the type of Persia, Persian person, kind of like me where you do kind of get like either those hyper fixations or you like to go down these like deep dives, these wormholes. Someone described it as like they were like, oh, yeah, with my ADHD, like I like to go and spend like three hours and just become like an expert in whatever random obscure like topics. Um, but those kind of hyper fixations, like if you're interested in meditation and you are someone like I am where you love to go down a deep dive a wormhole, like let meditation be that. If that is something where you're just like, oh, I can't sleep tonight or whatever you're curious about meditation, like just go there and lean into it. And you might find, you might stumble across things that can help support your personal practice. And I mean, I'm biased, but I think it's also a really interesting thing to learn about. But if you're like a rabbit hole diver, someone who just loves to take a few hours and be like, I want to learn everything about so-and-so, like why not let meditation be your hyperfixation? And, um, You might learn some really interesting things and maybe pick up some different tools for your meditation toolbox. So that is meditation and ADHD. Hopefully that helps to clear some things up. I do, like I said, this topic gets requested a lot. I get a lot of questions about it. Um, I also really enjoyed doing the research for this one because I didn't, you know, I only knew my own personal experience and then, you know, working with like my students, but um, it was really enjoyable for me to learn more and to do a deep dive as you know I love to do. So thank you so much for being here. I hope that you are well and I just appreciate that you're here and I hope you have a beautiful day.